first off, I want to thank Jason for giving us uh, the opportunity to speak and, and to share. And he gave me a couple of topics to choose from today. And I've always been told that one of the best learning opportunities you have is to teach. So when I heard the topics, I thought, well, of all those failures I have in my life, this is the best one for me to learn because I haven't yet at the age of 45. So I thought I would give it a shot. Uh, but patience is one of the virtues we talked about. And interestingly enough, it's one of the things that if you hear it from the world's perspective, it's a little bit different than what we do. And so I've got a couple of different examples that we're going to be going through here in a moment. Um, fortunately for me, or unfortunately, this is a journey that's not just mine. Fortunately, because God's joining me in this journey, because I certainly need his help. When it comes to being impatient, it's funny. We have kind of categories of sin, right? On a scale of 1 to 10, there's really bad ones in, in our eyes, and then there's small ones that we think of, and they're not that way in God's eyes. And unfortunately, patience is one of those that's it's sinful when we don't have it. And we see the uh, emotional distress it inflicts on those people around us, and so we're going to make sure that we address that appropriately. Um, the issue that, that I really have with this is sometimes I think the world thinks of patience as a static state, Right? Oh, they're very patient, meaning that somehow they were born with this innate ability to put up with things that the rest of us can't. You know, sitting in traffic and being happy with the fact that they have chances not to go fast. I don't see the world that way. But I think of it more of as a journey, but I think the world, even the definition of the way that we look at that is kind of interesting. The very definition of patience is the quality of being patient, which I was always told never to find the definition with the word, but apparently Webster's doesn't care anymore. As the bearing of provocation, annoyance, misfortune, or pain, without complaint, loss of temper, irritation, or the like. That's the definition. And the funny thing about that is, is we don't really know patience. You see it when it's not there, right? That's typically how we start to think about patience. Um, but it describes it like it's some homeostatic state that you reach this and then you're done. You've mastered it. You're the expert on patience. And I don't think that's the journey that we're on as Christians. And I certainly know in my life that if it is a journey that you get to, I've got a long way to go because I don't have a lot of patience. So this is my fancy PowerPoint slides of the day. Um, I told Mandy, I said, okay, I don't really want to do this in PowerPoint. I just had to do my monthly review for the hospital with all of our financials and data, and I don't want to look at a computer screen for a while. And so I got sophisticated. This is the beginner, and since I didn't have big enough font, Mandy said, color it in. I said, yes, ma'am, because she's not pregnant, but I learned a long time ago, yes, ma'am. Uh, so beginner, so we'll put beginner on this side. And we'll represent the other side of that journey with expert. You can see the E. Now, if we're in an emergency, this could also be exit. It's an E. It's close enough. So it says expert for the small font because I did the first part, and I said, that's taking too long. I'm running out of black pen. So E is for expert. Trust me. The rest of that says expert. So all right. So we'll kind of put this on this side. But when you think about a journey, I'm going to use an example that's very real to me and an area where my wife said, you have an unbelievable amount of patience when you choose to use it. And I said, well, you better be more specific because that's the first time you've ever heard that. And, and I thought, that's kind of unusual. She said, when you're working with kids who are learning how to snowboard, you have a very uncanny ability to be very patient with them. 
Now, I will tell you, I've enjoyed teaching a lot of kids with one exception. Alan Vargas, where's, where are the Vargases? Okay. Here, you know, here's the good news. I was out snowboarding with a bunch of the kids from church one time, and they said to me, Alan's frustrated. He's ready to quit. I said, why is it? They said, he can't figure out how to do it. And I said, okay, tell me where he is. And so I went over there, and, and I saw him. He was struggling to, to do some things. So I stood up. I said, take off the board, and I'll show you guys what I showed him. I said, look at the shape of it. <clears throat> this actually is one that I gave to Bo DeWitt at one point. But I said, look at this radius, because I know Alan's smart, right? Physicist at the age of like 12. And uh, <laughs> so... He, I said, look at that shape. I said, the only way to steer this thing is to make this edge bend and get into the mountain so that you'll actually carve a radius around it. Within about 10 minutes, he was making turns. I said, I knew it. And he looked at me. He was cheering with his arms up there and said, I'm snowboarding. He caught an edge and hit his head and got a concussion. <laughs> so for the sake of all physicists at the Sandia National Laboratories, I said, you're done snowboarding with me being responsible for you. And so we were done with it. But I have three specific snowboarding stories I'm going to talk about patience. The first is Caldwell. Now, the funny thing is, is I don't have his first snowboard that he ever had because he was four years old when he started riding, and we had to have it custom made. This was actually the board that he started doing competitions with when he was 12. And he was doing very, very well. But the funny thing is, is teaching him was very easy because I never had to push him to do anything. He understood from the age of four, okay, I want to ride with my dad, therefore I have to go very fast. So his objectives were very clear. I just need to know how to do two things. Go fast and stop so I don't hit something. That was, the, that was the whole specter. So when we first began, he went to this beginner side of things, learned to go straight, somehow managed to learn to turn occasionally. Things like trees got his attention. People, not so much at the age of four. I know we have some people that work ski patrol. I'm sorry, it's the truth. Uh, but, but he would avoid other people. He'd occasionally avoid trees. Sometimes he wouldn't. But he just thought, I'll go fast. I'll learn how to stop. And he figured that this whole journey from beginner to expert, he figured at some point he would kind of fill in all the gaps. So he just kind of made this big jump. And at the age of seven, I was having a hard time keeping up with him. So he kind of got over here pretty quickly. Victoria was different. Anybody ever here spend a lot of time with Victoria? She's kind of a perfectionist, and she wants things done a certain, certain way. Yvette raised her hand. She knows. And when it's not that way, you're going to hear about it a lot. And so when she began, it was kind of funny. Now, this is hysterical. This actually was her board when she was four. Isn't that cute? Right? She had, and the funny thing is, is she thought this was cool because this is called stiletto bindings. And she said, oh, Dad, that's perfect for a woman. I said, yes, it is. So she had her pink board with her stiletto bindings. The funny thing about that is she was the one that was like, Dad, I have to learn how to make these turns. And she would practice and practice and practice. And Mandy sometimes would come and say, why don't I take them to eat lunch, which was her code word for me. Go get your two hours because when you come back, you're going to have to practice. And so we would do that. When she was about seven years old, she had pretty much mastered everything except for one turn. That's very dangerous. It's called a heel, a toe-to-heel edge turn because you're blind. You're actually facing the mountain. You're turning over a shoulder. You can't see what's behind you, and if you catch an edge, you wind up going headfirst into the mountain, and it never looks good. Now, the people around you, we describe it as a mousetrap because it happens so quickly. 
it just looks like he got slammed down like a mousetrap's closing. And so <clears throat> she was struggling doing this. She would make the turn a little bit, then she would get scared, and she would turn out. She'd make the turn, she'd get scared, and she would turn out. Four hours. Four hours. One afternoon, at Angel Fire, she was going through this process. And then all of a sudden, she said, Dad, I'm going to go for it. She tucked her shoulder, she made the turn, she caught her heel edge, threw herself completely backwards down the mountain, hitting her helmet, knocking everything off, creating kind of a yard sale effect, gloves going everywhere. And she began to cry and punch the snow. So at this point, being a good, patient father, I just sat there and said, okay, Mandy's rules are don't say anything to a woman when she's mad. Just say, I understand. I said, I understand your frustrations. But the funny thing is, is exactly that moment, two 17- or 18-year-old girls were going over the lift over Victoria, and they screamed from the lift, go for it, girl, you've got this. And she got up immediately, and in 10 seconds of encouragement from teens, she got up, she dropped her shoulder, made the turn, threw her arms up there, and said, Dad, I figured it out. Four hours from me, Dad, <laughs> 10 seconds by some random girls who are probably smoking weed, going over the ski lift, <laughs> tell my daughter to make the turn, and they do. So she kind of achieved this just as well. But the funny thing is, is you learn this when you have kids. You live their life through their friends. And as they get older, it becomes even more prevalent. It can be a blessing. It can be scary at times. We were fortunate that early in their lives here when we first moved here, Caldwell and Bo DeWitt became pretty good friends. And Bo wanted to be able to go snowboarding and learn how to snowboard. Now, he was a little bit older. He was a little bigger. The one thing I learned about four-year-olds is they don't think they can get hurt because I figured out they can't. Because Carl will go fast and slam in the tree and get up and go, hurry up, Dad, you're slowing me down. I'm like, okay, I got it. I got it. I was worried about the three people you just knocked down. It's okay. Let's keep going. So Bo came to learn with us. And Bo did not pick it up as quickly. Now, I realized after a couple of months why. He wasn't trying to learn how to snowboard. He was trying to keep up with Victoria and Caldwell. And so his learning curve was very, very steep. And he was struggling with even simple things like standing up on the board. It's very difficult. I always knew I could find Bo because he kind of looked like an armadillo that's been put on his back because he would stick his board straight up in there and have to turn one particular way to get up because he couldn't get up the other way. And so I was like, where's Bo? Where's Bo? Oh, that guy's upside down like a helicopter. That's Bo. We could find him. But the funny thing is, is that Bo kept trying and trying. And I remember one day we were up in Santa Fe. And we got off the lift. It was a great day. There was powder everywhere. And we took off, sorry, down the mountain. And I looked back and I saw the vapor trail that was Caldwell passing me. I looked up and saw Victoria making her perfect turns. I couldn't find Bo anywhere. And I looked up way up at the top of the mountain where the lift was. It was pretty steep. Bo couldn't stand up. So I had to reach down unbuckle and walk about 175 yards up the mountain to help Bo get up to watch him then ski down the mountain while I walk back down to my equipment. But the funny thing is, is he kept going. It took about two years for Bo to learn how to ride, but eventually he got to the point where he'd go on all of our family vacations and he too could ride with these guys. But it is an example of learning about patience. When there is something on the other end of a journey that we want badly and understand it, we are willing to make certain kinds of commitments. Because I can tell you, falling backwards and hitting your head on the snowpack and having to be encouraged 25 times to try that to get it right is not something that's really easy. 
And so as we think about what this journey of patience is like, there's a beginning phase, typically in childhood, to becoming some degree of proficiency beyond that, which I won't ever call myself an expert in patience. Um, I can't even write a sign long enough because I got tired after the E. I mean, that's my idea of patience. Um, but we have to understand that there's something at the other end of that journey that is valuable to us somehow, some way. When it comes to patience and other aspects of our lives, we don't pause to find out, well, what is that value on the other side? What is it? What is that destination? And when it comes to God's version of patience, are we really willing to make that leap? Are we willing to make that jump and that progression? God's word is very clear. In fact, it's very, very clear on patience. It has a purpose, but it's his purpose. And that's, I think, where we struggle with patience. Because when I'm sitting in traffic, I've got a place to go, right? I understand the outcome. And anything that gets between me and that destination, I get very frustrated. I get very irritable. I get difficult to be in the car with. Um, you know, Mandy tells me all the time, when you get impatient, it makes me feel miserable because I start getting impatient with you. I'm like, well, that just makes me even worse. And so it, it kind of creates this feedback loop, unfortunately. Raise your hand if you feel that way. I see a lot of nodding, mostly by the women. I get it. Don't, don't raise your hand, men. You, you know better. I want to start by looking at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. For those of you who have your phone or if you want to grab a Bible in front of you, I think this is very important for us to understand the role of patience. We tend to think of it as a standalone virtue, but it's interesting to see how God talked about patience. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, it reads, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, and the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and Father through him. But the funny thing is it talks about love, and we talk about love a lot. But what are the ingredients in love? Well, if we start this particular passage, it starts off with several things that work together, unified through love, and that is compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and for the sake of my well-being, we'll stop there. Let's leave patience off. You can't leave patience off. All those elements have to come together for love to be unified and to work. Because here's the interesting thing. Let's take those first four, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, if you're in a household with someone who has those qualities but has no patience, those four are going to get overshadowed. If I try to show some degree of compassion to my spouse, but I'm constantly yapping about running late or whatever and being irritable, I don't think she's going to have a sense that, well, this is a good, compassionate household to be in. So when that one ingredient's missing, that common theme of love isn't present. Isn't present. If patience isn't a critical value, a virtue necessary to display love and perfect unity, let's try to understand it a little bit better from a biblical perspective. We're going to do that two ways. 
We're going to look at the what element. In other words, what does God say about patience? And then we're going to talk about the most important thing for me since I was about six years old, and that's the why. I was never one of those kids that did very well because my dad said, because I said so. But he did, <laughs> and I listened. But I would like to know the why. And so we're going to cover the what and the why. As we think about the, the what, um, I relied heavily on a book by uh, Randy Frazzi in his book, Think, Act, Believe Like Jesus. Uh, it discusses the virtue of patience. It reminds us early on, and he, this is how we see the lack of patience, right? He said, uh, quote, impatient shows no favoritism to its victims. And I thought that was a perfect way of doing it because when you lose your patience, it really doesn't matter who's around you. They are negatively impacted by it. And so as he begins to start talking about, well, what is patience? He highlights specific language in the Bible that is often used to be translated in the word that we commonly call patience. And the two of them that are commonly translated are very helpful for us to understand what it really means. Uh, one of the words used is Greek, and it's macrothymia. It comes from macro, meaning long, and thymia means anger. Sometimes macro means big as well. So I told man, like, good. When it talks about patience, big anger, that's me. No, 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 that's not what it means. The way they're put together actually suggests to us that it's that idea of having a long destination before anger results. That was one of the words that was translated into patience for us. So this idea that it's a long journey before I become angry over something. The second word that is used for this purpose is hypomome. And hypo meaning under, and mome meaning to remain. Now, that was kind of interesting. But the idea that it was used, or the idea that was used to convey this term, was the idea of being under a weight for an extended period of time and being able to bear it. So those two words are often used somewhat interchangeably for the word patience in the Bible. But the funny thing is, is they typically get combined in a way that produces a different idea or a thought. It means more about, the second one means more about perseverance. So Randy takes these two conceptual ideas, these meanings, and puts them together. And he had this quote that I thought was very interesting. God can also give us the resources and the motivation to slowly work toward change in difficult circumstances. The bottom line is while escape may seem like the quickest solution, God wants to offer the best solution. So he sums up these two ideas, this idea of slow to anger and bearing together. He summed it up by saying, I am slow to anger and endure patiently the unavoidable pressures of life. Those are the two words that kind of came together. So when we understand the, the what, it's like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with this information? It's not a theoretical exercise. How do I apply it in life? And so he had three ideas, three concepts that he thought were pretty significant about why patients makes sense for us to adopt and live as a virtue. Number one, it's from God. God is patient with us, thankfully. Number two, we need to become slow to anger. I don't know about you guys, but many times I regret things that I have said or done when I become impatient. I get hot, I say something, before I know it, I look back, I'm like, well, that wasn't a good way of building up others and encouraging them. Three, learning to persevere under pressure. The reason I like that one in particular is as we talk about this progression or this journey from some beginning state to some future state that's improved, it requires us to adapt to different kinds of pressures that we'll be experiencing. 
And it also kind of ties in together with what we've talked about before. Um, you know, if you guys think about this, this journey model, I couldn't help it. When I went in the back, it took me a little bit longer. I found the bag of marshmallows that we used a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, how stale are they? Because they're open. <laughs> and I thought, because the first thing I thought when Jason had his plate with the marshmallow on that is, ooh, that sounds good right now. <laughs> but uh, those marshmallows were in the back. But remember the idea of the marshmallow test? Do you guys remember, remember we talked about that? It talked about the fact that the temptation of the one marshmallow on the plate, if you don't eat it for 10, was it 10 minutes, Jason? 10? If you don't eat the marshmallow, you get a second one. Some kids did fine. Others struggled. They'd take a little nibble, they'd put it back. Well, this is sort of the idea that we have today. God has this plan for patience that if we will just allow it to develop and nurture, at some point in some future state, we'll have some reward off of that program that we may not understand when we first begin. So let's talk about these three ideas that he had about the why behind what's important. Number one, God is patient with us. Psalms 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You know, we often think about God as being the, the loving, nurturing God that he is and he describes himself as. But we also have some good examples of when he also has to provide perfect justice. I'm sure there are people in Sodom and Gomorrah that thought, you know, what we're doing is wrong, but I'll fix it tomorrow. You know? I think Ananias and Sapphira thought, you know what? We've got some money. We sold it's our land. We sold it. Why don't we just hold a little back and see what happens? But the reality is, is that God had a different plan, and he is a perfect God with perfect justice, and therefore having a sense of patience with us affords us the opportunity to hear his word and to convince others to make disciples who make disciples because he wants all of us to have the opportunity to join him on this journey of understanding him and knowing him. The second one, we become slow to anger. This one's critically important for any kind of a relationship, but can you imagine being an outsider, knowing you're missing something in your life, having a nagging doubt that the way you're living your life is not going to be the way you should live your life in the future state, you walk into a church and you see anger. You see all the things you see outside of this body. It's hard for us to convey to other people the importance of Christ's life in us if we can't be patient and we're angry. So we've got to be sensitive to that. A couple of verses that I thought were important. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And I can say amen to that. I can't tell you the number of times I've regretted things that have happened when I lose patience. Another one, Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient qualms a quarrel. It's simple. We can destroy relationships. Um, Victoria recently was in the state soccer tournament. Several people got to go see her. Now, have you ever seen her play? Uh, when it comes to, I would like to say physical play, but it's probably collisions. Um, she doesn't really necessarily think that anything beyond breaking a bone or drawing blood is outside of the purview of the game. Now, soccer is not a non, it's, it's a non-contact sport. You can't convince her of that. Um, and if you watch much high school soccer, especially amongst the boys, it's pretty volatile. Uh, in the semifinal round, uh, one of the girls that she's played with a lot against, actually a lot, came up behind her and actually clipped her heels and kind of pushed her down. And I looked at Mandy, I said, oh, that's going to be bad later. Because the ball was there, so she had to go after the ball. I said, I, Victoria got up and she kind of looked over her shoulder at the girl. And I said, I know it's going to happen. The rest of the first half came and went. Halftime came and went. 
The second half came in, and they actually had the ball on their side of the field. It wasn't a threat in any way, shape, or form. There was a ball in the air. The other girl that hit her earlier went up to get it, and we saw Victoria in a mad sprint just run as fast as she could and slam into her as hard as she could going for the ball. Now, I looked at Mandy, and I said, she deserves a red card. She should be thrown out of the game because we heard it, and we were 75 yards away, and we heard the collision. She got up. She nodded to the official. who gave her a yellow card, which meant she got a warning but didn't get kicked out of the game. So after the game, I said, Victoria, I just have to ask you one question. What was that collision about? She goes, I had to send a message. <laughs> I said, you did. I said, you sent a message that you should have been kicked out of the game. And she said, well, she hit me early in the game, and I had to prove that. And it was so funny. She goes, well, Dad, I was patient. I waited the right time. <laughs> and so, of course, Mandy is in the passenger seat, and she looks at her and goes, Victoria, that's not appropriate. And I'm like, she waited, because if it had happened in that first instinct, because what happens in the game whenever someone hits you and you retaliate, who do they always get? The person who retaliates, right? And so she waited for the opportune moment and levied her version of justice. So is it ideal? No. But she did, it was funny, she did claim to have patience with this retribution. But we have to become slow to anger. And I said, well, she was slow to anger. It took her a whole half to knock the girl out, but anyway. James 1, verses 19 through 20, reads, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We forget that. We don't want to really live by that. We would rather have forgiveness than this journey that makes us less likely to become angry, less likely to lose our patience. Our reading from Colossians 3 reminds us that compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience all work in unity. That was the word that was used. They work in unity for love. So if you're missing one of those ingredients, it's not going to work in unity. So we need to become slow to anger so that we don't disrupt that love pattern. The third and final reason for the why that was put into place for this is it helps us hold up under pressure. And this was sort of an interesting one to, uh, to think about as, as I was preparing. I actually think this is the strongest reason to think of patience as a journey because we don't think about practicing. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't ever think about practicing patience. My mother tried to teach me. But I had no interest then. I didn't have time for it. But then you become a husband, a father. You get into environments where you can't just stamp your feet and get what you want. You don't control certain timetables. You know, where Lee's business scares me to death. I'm never on, I can't tell them what my timetables are. I know I have to have my stuff in by April what? April 15th. All right? You know, there are moments where we don't get to control the timetable. It's not about us anymore. It's about the world that we live in, those that we're around. And so this journey requires two things. And this first one's probably the hardest. Number one, it requires me to trust that God's ways are more important than my ways. Because if he tells me I want you to be patient, he has a destination for me that I may not necessarily see right now, but I have to trust it's important enough to follow even if I don't see the wisdom in it. We know from reading Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 that this is to be the case. It reads, My ways or my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Second, so we have to buy, first off, we have to buy into the idea that that destination that God's planned for us is more important than my ways. And secondly, I have to be willing to practice it. I have to be willing to actually become better at using patience. Now, the good news for me is I'm living proof that it's easy to start at the bottom because it's something I've always struggled with. I am very impatient by nature. And so, maybe it's funny. She'll tell me, you're better. And I'm like, honey, that's a relative term. What does that mean? And she said, well, you're slower to lose your patience. And when you lose your patience, it's not as volatile as it used to be. She said, it used to be that you would get so disgusted, you'd walk off, you would leave people, you would do whatever. And she said, now you just sit there and she said, I can tell by your body language that you're biting your tongue to the point of bleeding, but you're still sitting there listening to whatever it is. And, and she said, so you are learning. But for me, that journey is going to be a long one. So we have to think about that. But when we put all these things together, the what, the idea of this long-suffering journey so that we can become more patient, so we understand the what, and we understand the why, the three areas that, that we're told, hey, this makes sense. It's God's plan for us. You need to be slow to anger, and it teaches you to persevere so we understand what God's plan is for us. It starts to come together, and you understand well how that kind of glue of, of love holds all these other emotional elements together. Patience. It's God's journey for us. We do submit to a divine creator, and we know that he is in charge. We aren't supposed to look for easy escapes. For me, the way to avoid losing my patience is don't put myself in circumstances where my patience are going to be tried. That ended with the birth of one Caldwell Greer. Because at that point, I didn't control some of the elements and inputs in my life that were so easy to control before. My timetable was kind of altered. We know that without patience, love is demonstrated through compassion, Kindness, humility, and gentleness doesn't exist, and we are called to love. We tend to think of patience as a character flaw, don't we? You know, if somebody came up here and said that I am a drug addict, I am a, grow down the list, right? We would say, oh, that's behavior they need to fix. But if I said, I struggle with patience, eh, that's just Troy. That's just Troy. Where did he go? Oh, he got tired of waiting. He lost his temper over the, oh, well, that's just Troy. But the reality is, is that's just as wrong as any other activity. And so we need to be mindful of that. What it really amounts to is when we don't show patience is it's selfishness. It is us saying that my will is more important than God's will. And I know for me, that makes the pain I have to experience by trying to become more patient a little bit more palatable. It allows me to say, you know what, if this is God's will for me, who am I to question it? It's time to maybe just suck it up a little bit and grow and allow this journey to take place. Allow that experience to start teaching me a different way of feeling and to bear up under the weight of life's challenges. But here's the best news of all, guys. God is patient with us. He's very patient with us. You know, we see example after example after example of people whose lives are transformed by God, but it's on his timetable. It's on his schedule. And I'm thankful that for 2,000 some odd years, 
He has been willing to let the world continue so that we can reach others and show them his message and bring others to Christ. So that's our challenge. It's not that complicated. It's a journey. We learn to do other things, whether it's snowboarding, whether it's riding a bicycle, whether it's writing or reading. All those things begin with a journey. Patience is no different. But the difference between patience and others is that other things are kind of irrelevant to God. Patience is one of his commandments. It's one of the things he told us. This is important for a relationship of love to exist. He called us yesterday and days before. He called previous generations. My grandfather was a preacher for 56 years, and he sang Amazing Grace at the end of every sermon for 56 years. And I found it interesting that today, it's a little variant of Amazing Grace, but today, 45 plus his 80 years when he passed... 120-something years of generationally hearing one song praising our God. He called us then, and he calls us today, and he'll call us tomorrow because he's patient. But he has set a time where he won't call us anymore because his plan will come to fruition, and at that point, it's too late. We're told that people will be left, one beside each other. One will be taken, one won't. That day is coming, and so this is our opportunity to come together as a group, recognize those who have not yet heard God's calling, that there's somebody here today who has actually heard God's calling and wants to be either immersed in baptism or to accept that calling through, uh, through hearing God's word and becoming part of this body. We encourage you to do so as we stand and sing. Thank you.